I'm Julian Gallardi. I'm Sandy Molinaris. And we have a very special guest today for Dugout Station. We're joined by ESPN filmmaker and director Randy Wilkins. He directed the Derek Jeter Captain documentary. And he's a three-time Emmy Award winner. That was a great documentary. It touched a lot of us. And thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. Randy, the documentary was amazing. I watched it when it first came out. I watched it again when we knew you, we were going to have you on. And it just made me relive my childhood. Um, amazing work. Excellent job. First question, how did you get Jeter? <laughs> uh, well, Jeter was already attached. Derek wanted to do it. So uh, when, it was, when it was brought to me, he had already agreed to to be a part of it, so <clears throat> I didn't I didn't get Jeter. Um, uh, that would be Mike Tolan and MSM, the production company that also did the Last Dance. He had been working on trying to get Derek for about a year, I think, and um, it started when Derek got his phone call uh, to be inducted into the Hall of Fame, and uh, there was a crew there that was documenting that day and. I think Derek realized in that moment that his daughters had never seen him play baseball and that he was comfortable enough with having a camera crew there to spe share that special day, uh, not just uh, with his family, but eventually the public. And I think he realized that he could do something that would document his life and career prior to his daughters being around. And then, uh, yeah, everything just kind of fell into place. And then we, uh, we all linked up and ended up making the film. That's beautiful. I mean, of course he would think of that, right? I mean, only Jeter. <laughs> so um, about your documentary, how long did it take to film the documentary? Uh, we were filming and editing at the same time. So uh, overall, it probably took about um, a year, which is a pretty aggressive schedule. Uh, when you have seven episodes, um, you normally get much more time than that. But just because of logistical stuff and a bunch of things that's above my pay grade. Uh, we ended up having a shorter schedule. So um, we filmed in total maybe six or seven months, but it was all combined with editing. So as we were shooting, we were we were putting it together at the same time. So we were actually still working on the last episode while uh, the series was actually airing on ESPN. So we were working while everybody was watching. So the interviews like took place in a course of a whole year, like uh yeah like technically uh over a year but it wasn't like uh in succession it wasn't consecutive it was we we had multiple breaks between production um we filmed michael jordan and his interview probably late april you know so um or even later than that maybe uh we might have done it like may or june um so we were very close to being done and we were still like shooting interviews. So um, when it comes to documentaries, they're so unpredictable. Um, you try to organize and be as strategic as possible. It's not like a narrative where you just have like a production period and then you have like a post-production period. Mm -hmm. Anything could pop up in a doc for whatever reason. So you mm -hmm. have to be flexible. So I would just say the whole process took a year and then everything was kind of happening within that, that time frame. And you were behind the scenes asking the questions, right? We yeah. just didn't hear that part, but you were the one there asking the questions. Yeah, we did 90 interviews and I did all 90. Yeah. Oh my God. Wow. <laughs> yeah. That's pretty amazing. That must have been something. Yeah, it was, uh, it was a lot of work. It was pretty tiring, but I mean, 
I got to meet a lot of people and mm-hmm. talk a uh, very, very long amount of time, you know, an abnormal amount of time for what they're used to when it comes to interviews and stuff. So, um, yeah, it was a lot, but it was it was definitely worth it. And the people you met, the people you had on, Tori, Girardi, Strawberry, Cone, A-Rod, Posada. I mean, the list goes on. It's just very good stuff. Yeah, Derek. so with all those interviews with derek what was one of the most fascinating things you learned about him during this process that you didn't know maybe beforehand uh i think how much his biracial identity impacted and influenced the way he played baseball i mean i I think that was a thing that nobody really knew about because he didn't really talk about it that much for different reasons and i think that his childhood experiences growing up in Kalamazoo definitely influenced the way he approached playing baseball and how he approached his career. Um, you know, he, he talked a lot about wanting to be seen on a big stage and like thriving the big stage because the bigger the stage, the, the more people watched and he kind of thrived off of that. And I think a lot of that is tied back to people watching him when he was younger and not having an opportunity to defend himself or speak for his family knowing that people were casting looks that were, you know, were, were not the best ones, you know, they certainly weren't like supportive. So I think uh, that's something that we discovered going through this process with him. I, it was something that I knew that he had those experiences, but I, I wasn't really aware of how much it influenced the way that he played baseball. And I don't think he did either. Cause even when I asked him about it, he was kind of thrown and he had never really made that connection. It was something that he never really thought about. So, that was probably the most eye-opening thing. Yeah, because I noticed um, in the first two episodes, he was talking a lot about how he likes having the people watch him and stuff and how he, like, thrived for the moment and everything. Uh, but that was that was some definitely an interesting fact we didn't know. For sure. Yeah, um, I, I do recall, too, you um, – I forgot the name of the reporter, but he mentioned something like that – Derek was who he is. I think he approached everyone like he was colorless. Yeah, yeah. And um, now, did Jeter know you were going to ask him that question when you did? Uh, when no, I asked- because he was thrown off when you mentioned colorless. Uh, was he aware that I was going to ask the journalists or? No, no, him. The question of, to Derek I mean, I, when yeah, I asked to Derek. Derek. Yeah, uh, yeah. Derek, Derek knew that I was going to ask him that. Um, oh, okay. The the journalist, his name is uh, Wallace Matthews. And um, okay. I mean, none of us expected him to answer it that way. I mean, that, yeah. wasn't, that wasn't <laughs> the question. Like he 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 took his his own initiative to like mention. Yeah. Um, but Derek knew uh, we 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 prepared everybody. So it wasn't okay. Derek, but anybody we interviewed, we gave them a list of topics that we we're going to touch upon. We didn't give them the questions, but. Uh, you know, out of courtesy and, and making sure that people didn't feel like they were thrown for a loop. We always yeah. like gave people a heads up. So I gave Derek a heads up that he had made this comment and, and I was going to ask him about it. And at first, Derek actually didn't want to address it. Um, but I think the more he thought about it, the angrier he got and he felt like it needed a response. Yeah. Um, and his parents definitely knew I was going to ask. His sister knew and his parents were very eager to answer. So um, yeah, Derek knew about it, but that wasn't specific to Derek. Everybody that we interviewed had a list of topics prior so they could be as prepared as possible. 
So what inspired you to get into all this filmmaking and going through all this work to get all these interviews to put together such uh, great sport documentaries? Um, it all happened by accident. I didn't want to be a filmmaker. I didn't, I didn't, oh, wow. Uh, no way. I didn't pursue it. Um, it wasn't a goal of mine. It just kind of happened. I needed an arts credit to graduate from college on time. And the uh, only class that was available was like a video narrative course. I didn't even know back then that you know, people from the Bronx or people that had no exposure to, to film equipment could even make a film. So uh, I took this class um, that was taught by Mary Haverstick, who was an alum of the college, but was also a working filmmaker at the time, still is. And um, within five minutes, I was hooked. Like, as soon as you said it was a language and that there was a craft to it, like my brain just like turned on and she would show examples and I knew exactly what she was talking about. I could pick up on it like intrinsically and it felt very natural to me. Um, so I just felt like, you know, this makes sense to me. I'll see how far I can get with it. Um, I definitely didn't think that I would end up being a professional filmmaker or that this would be my career. And um, I never set out to do that. I, it just felt like something that I understood and that I enjoyed and it was like, well, I'll just ride this out as long as I, I can until I have to like get a real job or something. And uh, it ended up being my job. So uh, it worked out pretty well. That's amazing. That's awesome. Yeah. It was like you're made to be to be a filmmaker, right? You were, <laughs> it was meant definitely. to be. It was definitely meant to be. I mean, the only reason, really the only reason why I ended up making film to begin with is because I had uh, blown my knee out. Uh, I, I had played basketball and tore my ACL. Knew I wasn't going to play baseball anymore. I had a tryout with the Kansas City Royals and like baseball. Oh, no. I was fine. I mean, I wasn't going to, I wasn't like some stud prospect. So it was, <laughs> I was pretty good, but that was as far as it went. Uh, I was just happy I had that experience with the Royals. But uh, yeah, I, had, I didn't graduate on time. So I had to come back to graduate, um, to fulfill the rest of my courses uh, in the fall of 2001, and then 9-11 happened, and uh, I didn't want to go home. So um, after I graduated, I, I convinced the school or tricked the school into giving me uh, some resources <laughs> to make a film on a barbershop uh, by my college. And once I made that, that's when I really caught the bug. Um, and then it went from there. Would you? Speaking of filmmaking, would you recreate, would you create something just as you did with the captain again? Are there plans of doing that in the future? Uh, I'm just going with what the best story is and what the best situation is and whatever story is kind of touching me and what I want to tell. So um, it's not necessarily the sports space isn't necessarily something I want to continue to stay in for my entire career. Um, you know, it's Derek Jeter. He had never done something like this before. So it was a great opportunity to jump on, but it's not something that I want my entire career to be based on. I don't want to talk about sports my entire life. I could do that on Twitter. So <laughs> you know, I, there's a lot of stories out there that I'd love to tell, be it in sports or outside of sports, um, or it could be sports adjacent. So, um, and I also don't want to just stick with documentaries. I mean, with the writer's strike and the SAG strike coming soon, you know, narratives are kind of put to, to bed right now, but eventually I want to get into narratives as well. So I don't really want to stick into the, the doc space primarily. I just want to be able to tell great stories and 
be as diverse and um, widespread as possible. So growing up in the Bronx, was it just natural for you to like the Yankees? Like, was it the Yankees right away? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, that goes without saying. So uh, it was the first sports team I really engaged with, the first sport I really engaged with. Um, so, yeah, I mean, that was very easy, the easiest team to pick, I guess. So um, <laughs> yeah, it was it was Yankees since, since as long as I can remember. So now I'm going to put you in the manager's chair. If you were Aaron Boone, what's the first thing you would do? I don't know if I'd want to be Aaron Boone, but uh, <laughs> <laughs> I know some people are going to be mad at that, but whatever. Um, I don't know. I mean, I don't know what I would do. I think uh, I don't think there's much to do. But there's a lot of wiggle room, to be quite honest. I guess manage the bullpen a little bit better. Uh, that might be it. Uh, but I think modern day managers really don't have that much autonomy. So I'm not really sure what you can or cannot do. I think the things that Aaron Boone can actually control, he's pretty good at. Um, I think he's a very good man manager. I think he's a very good player manager. Like I would never criticize him on that, that end of the spectrum. Um, I don't think he's a very good bullpen manager. I can't be convinced otherwise. So I think that's his biggest flaw. Um, but I think in other aspects of the game, I think Aaron Boone is actually like very good. Um, I just think that the bullpen management has too much of an impact on too many games uh, that I'm comfortable with personally. But um, yeah, I'm not really sure what I would do different. Um, I mean, I, I think there's a lot of things that he does well and some things that he's not very good at. And um, yeah, I mean, it's tough being a manager when you when your hands are tied. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. yeah. It's like he talks about the lanes for the bullpen and like giving the guys extra days. Like he manages like other games. Like right. as he's in the game, he's in. Like it's, it's it is, but I, I don't totally blame him. I think that's the industry. You know, I I think that that's how. Yeah, and it's not just in Major League Baseball. I mean, I think it's across a bunch of sports. Like it's even worse in the NBA. I mean, you never know who's going to play in the NBA, and it feels like they're managing weeks ahead instead of just like. Uh, a, a, that game that night, you know what I mean? So I think it's just where sports, modern day sports is is at and kind of the emergence of science impacting sports. So um, it's frustrating, but I don't totally put it on boom because I think it's just an industry-wide thing at this point. So now I'm going to put you in the GM's chair. We're going to bring okay. you upstairs. <laughs> if you were Brian Cashman, what's the first trade you're making? Wow, a bat. <laughs> I mean, like, Pick whoever can hit and is available and get that person on the team. Like, I think that's – I mean, that's obviously the biggest issue right now is lengthening the lineup and especially with guys getting hurt left and right like every other day. I mean, it's just a bet. I don't know if it's like a Cody Bellinger type. I mean, I'm not even going to be picky anymore. Like, I've, <laughs> I've been saying for years, like before people started really talking about it, that the Yankees – we're too right-handed dominant. Like I've been saying it oh, yeah. since before the pandemic and like people were getting on me about it. And at this point, just get a bat. He could be righty, lefty, switch hitter, like hits on the plate. I don't really care what he does. Just get like an accomplished <laughs> hitter to help out. You know what I mean? That's that's like the glaring weakness. And I, I think that they're kind of limited and what they can do until they get that extra bat. And I, like honestly, at this point, I'm not I'm not picky. Just get a high quality bat that can that can make an impact and 
you know, if it's a righty, hopefully it's somebody that can hit righties pretty well, you know, so you're you're not like really facing that platoon issue as much. But I mean, just just get another bat in here. You know, I, I think that's the the biggest thing right now. Especially with Judge now, he may go on the IL. We don't know, so yeah. we're gonna miss out. Yeah, um, yeah. I mean, it, yeah. Even when Judge is here, just get another bat. You know what I mean? It's just like it just feels like they're one bat short. Like. Yeah, I can deal with, you know, a couple of dead spots in the lineup because I feel like that's natural. There's very rare chances when an entire lineup is circular like that. But they need one more, even to like cover for LeMahieu, um, because he's you know he's struggling a little bit. They just need one more bat to give you an opportunity to not have the whole lineup like fall on his face uh, when other guys are struggling. So, did you ask him for the first trade? If you were Cashman, what would be your first trade? Oh, just a bat? Yeah, <laughs> just a bat. I mean, I'm not being picky, but I guess, like, off the top of my head, like, somebody like a Cody Bellinger. I know he's hurt. I know he's coming back soon. Yeah. But, uh, that type. I mean, ideally, obviously, it's a lefty bat that can yeah. take advantage of the porch and, and, like, make it a little bit more difficult for these right-handed dominant uh, bullpens. So, you know, for me, it's – it's just finding that lefty back that works. I just don't know who's – I really don't know who fits that profile, though, that would be available. That's the problem. It's tough. We definitely like Bellinger, yeah. though. Oh, How do you feel about the kids, Cabrera, Volpe, and Peraza? Uh, as far as, like, their potential? Oh, I mean, I think they have great potential, all three of them, in different ways. I mean, I think Peraza and Volpe could be stars. I think yeah. – Cabrera can be a consistent contributor. I don't, I'm not sure if he's like a starting level player just because of his bat, but I think he's an important player that has value when he hits enough. Um, I have like no issues with Volpe. I don't understand why people keep arguing with each other about Volpe. <laughs> it's like, yeah. it's time. <laughs> he's been good. The man might hit 20 home runs this year. You know, like it's it's fine. He's 21, learning how to play Major League Baseball without like any AAA experience. You know, he basically went from Double A to, to the majors for the Yankees. You know, a team that's trying to win a World Series yeah. in the toughest market. Like it's not a, it's this isn't spring training. You know, so <laughs> you gotta take the good with the bad. Um, right. Peraza needs to be on the team somehow, some way. I think he can contribute right away too. Um, I mean, I I feel very confident in them. I know. When we interviewed Hal Steinbrenner back in 2021, he felt like both of them would be their like all-star middle infield. Like he he feels like that's that's the organization's projections for the both of them that they could both be all-star, wow. and they've never wow. really wavered off of that. And he said that to me like two years ago. So um, I don't think anything has changed. It's probably a numbers game with Peraza, just roster-wise, but. I mean, the home run that Volpe hit against the Dodgers just tells you all you need to know about him. I mean, that's it's a big, big hit. He did the same thing in Toronto. Like he's he's fine. I mean, I, the the hand ringing over Volpe is like like such. It's so Twitter. You know what I mean? It's just like <laughs> like this patient. Like he's good. He's contributing. He's making an impact. Like I think all three of them will continue to make an impact once Cabrera kind of figures out his his hitting woes. Like, if you actually watch the games and just look at the box scores, you can see that Volpe has it still. Like, he's just going through it a little bit. Like, people just, like, 
like to criticize because they're like always oh, batting right. 200. But he's hitting the, I mean, honestly, he's hitting the, he's hitting the ball hard. You know what I mean? Like, I know he could, he could have better control of the strike zone, but that's where being a 21 year old rookie in the majors comes right. in. Like, he's not going to be able to do that right away. Aaron Judge didn't do that right yeah. away. So when he does make contact, it's like hard contact. Like, he's barreling the ball up. He's hitting the ball hard. Sometimes he's getting unlucky. You know, controlling the strike zone in the major leagues takes time. That's like a craft. You know, he's not going to get it right away. So, um, and you look at great players now, their rookie years at the beginning, it's not like they, not every single player was like setting the world on fire. You just have to be patient. So, speaking of Jeter, was 0 for 5 on his first, um, on his um, debut. Um, and, which I was reminded of when I watched your documentary. I think it was pretty funny that um, his first meal was at McDonald's. <laughs> that was great. <laughs> yeah, it's a, a bonding moment with his dad. So yeah. uh, at a random McDonald's in Seattle. So. Do you think Jeter will ever? Do you think Jeter will ever work with the Yankees? Uh, maybe like as an ambassador, but I don't think he'll have an official like title. I think he wants to own a team again. I mean, I think the situation with the Marlins left a bad taste in his mouth. Um, I don't think it was the right situation from the jump. And uh, I think Derek's about ownership and, and business and high end business. And I think Derek has a vision of how he wants to see a franchise operate. And I think he still wants the opportunity to have like that autonomy and, and that authority. So I think if a situation comes up where he can be a part of the ownership group, but like have uh, greater authority, I think he's going to take it. And I don't really see him really taking up another baseball related job unless it's that. I mean, he was an owner. He was a CEO. Like, why would you want to go backwards? You know what I mean? So I think he's waiting for the right opportunity. If it comes, whenever it comes to be a part of the ownership group again and, and take his hand at something in a better situation than uh, the one he was in with the Marlins. What do you think about this pitching situation with all these guys dropping like flies? Like Nestor's down now. Rozone hasn't thrown a pitch yet. We know Montas is maybe September if we're lucky. And I just like it's a lot to deal with. Yeah, I mean, pitching is hard. You know what I mean? Like pitching is unnatural. So I think – I think they've weathered the storm pretty well, actually. I mean, they're 11 games above 500. They have actually pitched well, um, you know, and all the bullpen injuries, too. I think that it just is a testament to, like, how the organization has better developed pitchers up and down the organization. You know, I think Randy Vasquez, uh, in his one start, he did well. Um, I know Johnny Brito was, like, super inconsistent, but he did, like, throw some quality innings at, at some point. Herman has made a big jump. Um, yeah. I'm not a big fan of him as a person, um, but uh, he's here and he's contributing. And, uh, you know, he's he's helped the rotation quite a bit. Um, sticky stuff to the side or too much rosin to the side, whatever that was. Um, <laughs> but even yeah. the performance against the, against the Dodgers, that might have been his, the best start of his career. Um, so... I think that Matt Blake is a great pitching coach. I think that Sam Breen and the, the minor league team has done a really good job of developing and, and kind of just creating this pitching factory that could come up and like be available. So 
obviously we need the big boys when it matters the most. But I think right now, just going through the regular season, they're kind of just keeping their heads above water. And that's probably another area where they look in the at the trade deadline to kind of get at least get some kind of innings in there just to kind of cover themselves just depth wise. So I wouldn't expect like a, a big name pitcher to come, but I would expect some them try to bring somebody in uh, to like help out depth wise. What do you prefer? Like, wouldn't you want them to fill the hole in left field instead? Like uh, do both. I mean, if you can do both, I would prefer that they do both. I mean, I, I honestly believe they can win the title if they're like ever, this year, like if they're ever healthy, they're one of the, they're a top three team to me. Like, I don't, I don't have any doubts about that, but they do have some holes they have to fill. So to me, just go fill the holes as many as you can and then go for it, you know, for the rest of the season. So if they can get a bat, get the bat. And if they can get a pitcher, get the pitcher. I mean, they did that last year. I mean, they tried to do uh, the last couple of trade deadlines. They've, they've gone after multiple positions. You know, it's just that guys got hurt. I mean, I don't, it's just bad luck, I guess. I don't really know how else to describe it. I mean, it's unless you got damaged goods, you know, the Montas thing is a little weird because he was hurt and then he got hurt again. I think that was, a that ended up not great. um, You know, they've been trying to fill multiple holes at the trade deadline, so I think they're going to do that again. I mean, they're obviously in a position to to do it. So um, they just need to keep treading water or playing the way that they are right now. And it helps that their schedule now is is not as as tough as it was like at the beginning of the year. So they might be able to coast by playing like the White Sox and the Red Sox and, you know, pick up some some like cheap wins that way, too. Well, what do you think about their chances of catching the Rays if Judge is down for a significant amount of time? Should we just settle for a wild card at that point? Or do you think they could still make a run at the race? Uh, always make a run until they say it's over. You know what I mean? So – uh, I think you have to be aggressive. I have to think – well, I think that you have to continue to go about your business like you can win the division. You know, it's early June, so depending on how severe the injury is, you know, he might, he might not be going for that long. We just, You know, it, it could go out. So um, if he's not there for a long period of time, it's, it's obviously going to be difficult. I mean, everybody else would have to stay healthy. So – reality might kick in at some point but my attitude is always you go for it until they tell you it's over so um i don't think i don't think the rays are a juggernaut like i I know that they gotten off to like a great start and like are winning games but i don't think that like they're the perfect team by any stretch of the imagination like i don't think they're i don't think they're the 2018 red sox you know what i mean so that team felt like all right, this is their division and it's not going to work out. I don't feel that way about the race. Like, there's so many guys that are playing above. They're all having career years at the same time, and that just feels unsustainable for an entire lineup. You know what I mean? So um, I think they can be caught. Uh, I think the Orioles are a threat, but they really need to address pitching. I think that's going to catch up to them at some point. I still think that they're going to make the playoffs, but – um, the Yankees just need to stay healthy. I mean, it's, it's obvious, like, and it's kind of like the easy way out, but that that's the issue. And <laughs> it's so hard. It seems yeah. like, like <laughs> biggest issue. Yeah, biggest always, problem. always. But you know, Judge ran into a, a brick. I mean, like a a concrete landing in the bullpen, breaking the fence. Like, you know, you can't <laughs> expect that to happen. Like, that's nobody's yeah. fault. 
Yeah, I hate when they say he's injury prone. Like a lot of them are like freak injuries. Like it's not like anything he's doing that's getting himself injured. Like Santa's a different story because that's like I don't know what's going on there. But like I don't feel like Chuck is. Nah, he ran into he ran full force into a concrete block that shouldn't be there and literally broke a stadium fence. Like, (laughs) (laughs) I mean, you know, there's nothing injury prone about that. Nobody's expecting a major leaguer to run into a fence and break a major league stadium fence. With a concrete like, you know, sometimes you just you just gotta be you just gotta have some common sense. Like being <laughs> injury problem. Yeah. Like it's poorly constructed stadium, apparently. So yeah. Okay, so we wanna try this new game. It's called the Dugout Or OR. And I saw it at um, this podcast called Drinking Champs, a Nori podcast. Yeah. And we wanna try it on you. Okay. It's um, Yankee greats, and you have to choose between one. Okay. Um, first one, Andy Pettit or CC Sabathia? CC. I, I knew it. <laughs> I knew it. I knew it. <laughs> okay. All right. So next up, we got Yogi Berra or Jorge Basada? Yogi. Okay. All right. Then next up, we're going to do um, Bernie you- Williams or. Paul O'Neill. Bernie. <laughs> yeah. That's, and then we got our last one's going to be the toughest, I think. Okay. We got Jeter or Mariano. Oh, Derek. I got to go with Derek. <laughs> what is your Yankees Mount Rushmore? It's hard. Uh, Ruth, Gehrig, Derek, Mantle. Oof. Nice. That's strong. Those are some good ones. <laughs> Yeah, for sure. Yeah, I, uh, I want to get Mo on there, but too many hitters, too many good hitters, unfortunately. Oh, how was it like working with Derek and A-Rod? Like, were they together when you were doing anything? Or, like, how was that How was that situation looking between them? Uh, no, they weren't together. Uh, when we interviewed Alex, Derek was probably in Miami. And when we interviewed Derek, Alex was wherever the hell that, uh, Alex was. So um, we never had them together. Uh we only interviewed Alex once. Uh, we interviewed Derek like four times. Um, so they never crossed paths while we were making the film. Um, obviously, we reached out to Alex to be a part of it. We wanted to make sure his voice was in it. We didn't want to misrepresent him or paint him in uh, a negative light or paint him in a light that kind of ridiculed him. Like that was something we, I made sure right from the beginning we, we weren't going to do that. We weren't going to pick a side. Like we had nothing to do with whatever their their issues were, so we wanted to present both sides as fairly as possible. Um, I think we did that. Uh, you know, Derek was totally fine with it. I think when we first started talking about it, Derek didn't want the Alex thing to kind of like take over. Um, but as time went on, I think he realized that Alex was in his life more than people realized, uh, or more that he realized. You know, they've known each other for almost their entire adult lives. And I, I think that they've had a longer connection than even Derek realized um, before looking back on it. So there were multiple moments that it felt like necessary, felt it was necessary to like touch upon and, and get into um, because they're so intertwined with one another. And um, I felt like they both spoke their truths as much as they were comfortable, like showing and giving. And I mean, I, in some ways, I. You know, I, I think the film 
has led to Derek and Alex working on Fox together. You know what I mean? Like, I don't think that happens partly without the film. I think that Derek's wife, Hannah, had a lot to do with that as well. Um, because she came into Derek's life after a lot of that drama had happened. So to her, it was like, you know, why are you guys beefing? Like, like just get over <laughs> it. Like, this is silly. Um, and I think Derek getting older and having kids and also having that perspective from his wife changed things for him. Um, I think that, you know, I'm not totally sure. I don't want to speak for him, but I think what happened happened and Derek won't forget it. But I think that he's at a point in his life now where, you know, he put it in his place and is willing to move on, obviously. So, you know, they're colleagues. Um, so it's good. I mean, I, I think it's it's a positive when when guys can get over whatever their issues are and move forward together in some capacity. So I think it's a good thing. I want to talk about your film. I, I love the music. I love um, the old school hip hop that you threw in there. That was amazing. Pete Rock, um, Nas, it just opened up perfectly. I love that. Um, there's certain things in your film that I didn't even know. I learned a lot from Derek Jeter, his personality. I was like, wow, this is a, he is like something else. Let me tell you. Um, and especially the, there's something that stuck out to me that I didn't know before where, um, on 2009 world series, CC Sabathia was pitching and, um, Yankees were down, um, Yankees were down and CC was at, like lost, completely lost. Jeter, Jeter went up to CC and said, no, you're good. I got you. And he went out there and hit a home run and won the game for him. And that's just a testament of who he is, um, as well as the type of player I want on my team now. Who is the Derek Jeter on the Yankees now? What do you like? What are your thoughts on that? Ooh. I mean, it's, to me, it's Judge. I mean, yeah. it's just like a bigger, more powerful version of Derek. Uh, I feel like. Judge has that confidence. He obviously has that impact. He has that ability. Like, I mean, he can tell a pitcher, I got you, and then hit a home run. <laughs> I, I mean, I, that's pretty yeah. obvious. Aaron Judge, without question. I mean, he's the yeah. captain for a reason. I think he he impacted older players the way um, Derek did when he first came up in 96 or when he came back in 96. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I think he's that guy. I mean, it's just that the roster around him, isn't as good as the one that Derek was on and didn't have those other leaders, accomplished players alongside him, you know, um, they stayed healthier. You know, a lot of guys didn't get hurt as much as the guys do now. So, um, yeah, I mean, I think, I mean, I think it's very clearly Aaron judge. I can't think of anybody else that would be remotely close to filling those shoes. Like, like Aaron. Yeah. Yeah. Something that stuck out to me was that Jeter, like, he was, like, more upset about the losses than happy about the wins. Like, the situation in 2004, like, still eats them. You could tell, like, it's still a fresh wound, even though it's been, like, 20 years. Yeah, I mean, dude doesn't like losing. I, I mean, like, at all. Like, and, I mean, he has, like, a real edge to him. Like, like people see the smile and all that stuff, but he's he's actually incredibly intense. And, yes! Yeah. Yeah, he's a he's a very intense guy, um, and you know, 
people talking about it, the way that he handles losses. Like he can't even like really talk about the way he handles losses because it's very much like, yeah, I was pissed off. Like there's nothing else to talk about it. I don't like it. I don't really like the feeling. And he doesn't really say much about it. Like I feel like, you know, less is more in that situation. Like, yeah, I was pissed off. Like that's it. I mean, there's really nothing else to really expand upon. So yeah, he's ex- he's extremely intense. I mean, that was another thing that I that I learned about him, and you can feel it. It's not just him talking about it. It's almost like his energy changes. Um, so yeah, he's he's a pretty intense dude. He just displays it in a uh, in a more, I guess, arrogant like, way. Arrogant in a way. Oh no, no, there's nothing. No, no, no. no there's nothing arrogant about Derek. It's just he just he downplays it more, but it's there. You know what I mean? Like. You look at it like Paul, he's not as demonstrative. Like Paul O'Neill was in intense, but uh, you know, he's throwing helmets and like punching water coolers. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Derek is just as angry. He's just not doing all that extra stuff. You know what I mean? <laughs> like uh he's he's not as demonstrative about it, but like that level of intensity and anger is is there. Like he and Paul O'Neill are very similar in that way. Wow. That's interesting. I never viewed it that way before. And you gave us a look that no one else really gave us because during his career, we didn't really know his personality. Like, he didn't get too much. He was just like quiet and low key. Like, we got to see like a whole new level. And it was really I cool. actually, when, you know, watching him do the interviews with reporters, like after the games and stuff like that, he came across as arrogant to me, honestly. I mean, I still love the guy. He's not, he actually doesn't like arrogance. I think that's another reason why he and Alex didn't always get along. Um, but I mean, like you said, it was by design. You know, that was why when, pe- when the project was announced and people were like, well, what is he going to talk about? Like, nobody's going to watch this. It's going to be boring and all that shit. And I was just like, look, a totally different guy. Like, the, the public persona was intentional. Like he did that for a reason and he didn't really care what you thought about it because he was winning. And I mean, the first time I met him, you could tell that he was a totally different person than what you saw in the media. So I had all the confidence in the world that that was going to be on display because I, I saw it, you know, and I was actually appreciative of people kind of setting that bar low because I knew that we were going to like jump way over it because that's not actually who he is. He's like, he's actually quite the opposite. Um, and like getting to know him and he's extremely charismatic. He's a jokester. He has like a great sense of humor. There's a lot of dynamic elements to his personality, but he wasn't going to show that because he wanted to win. I mean, it's, he was, he's maniacal about winning and he, and he thought about everything that contributed to a win or loss, including how you deal with the media. So, um, I knew that like that criticism was going to come when it was announced, but I, I just laughed at it. Like it was just like, okay, wait till this comes. <laughs> Speaking of winning um, and Jeter, right? He said win, winning, whatever, like a thousand times in the whole documentary. Like, you know, that's the type of person he is. I sense that in Volpe. I sense that he is like that. Like he just wants to win. Do you think Volpe will live up to those expectations that everyone has set for him? I mean, what expectations are we talking like about? Like Jeter comparisons. Nah. I don't no? think I think he'll set his own path and it'll be very successful. You know, I don't the the Jeter comparison doesn't work. Like no. multiple reasons. And I get why people want to do that and want to kind of force that narrative, but is it's not the same. Like they're not even the same player. You know what I mean? Like they 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 just have different profiles. 
Um, I think Derek was in a very unique situation. Um, I don't think Volpe's in the situation that um, that Derek was in. That that '96 team needed Derek to like put them over the hump more than this team needs Volpe to put them over the hump. I think that the 2023 Yankees like have other issues that the 96 team didn't have. Like they just, they needed a shortstop and somebody who can impact, but also like have an impact on the clubhouse. Like Volpe doesn't have the control of the clubhouse the way Derek did in 96 as a rookie. It's it's not just about uh, production on the field. Like, you had David Cohn and Paul O'Neill and Tino Martinez looking at Derek to lead them by the end of the year. Wow. You know, like there's a captain on this 2023 team. Like the Yankees go as Aaron Judge goes. Anthony Volpe just needs to, you know, just do his role, play his role. Derek needed to be more than that in '96. And it's just it's just not the same. You know, it's not it's not just about like looking up somebody's statistics or their analytics and then making this comparison. Like Derek had a real clubhouse impact on them. He became the leader by the end of the year and he was a rookie, but that's not going to happen with Volpe. So um, it'd be great if Volpe won a title his rookie year, like Derek, but uh, I don't think, I don't think Volpe will be the primary reason why they win. The, the Yankees won in 96 because of Derek Moe and everybody falling in line behind them. You know, that's a that's a big difference. So uh, I just I just it's just is he's on Aaron Judge's team, you know. So uh, I think he can be alongside Judge at some point, but it's it's not going to be his team as long as Judge is there. So it's vastly different. That's a great perspective. I agree a hundred percent. Here it is. This is your great picture with Derek Cheater on the captain set. Yep. Brings back memories. Lucky guy. <laughs> You're so lucky, Randy. Yeah. yeah. That must have been a cool one. I think that was uh, our first or second um, interview. So, um, yeah, good times. Good times. That was uh, that was like four hours later after we had uh, finished finished the, the first or second interview. The way, the way um, his season ended was like you can't script it any perfect – you can't script it script it any perfectly. You yeah. get what I'm trying to say, right? <laughs> yeah. um, it was the storybook ending. It was a storybook ending, absolutely. I'm, I'll give you a bonus question. We're going to go back to the game, the player game. Okay. Uh, we talked this one up before. Aaron, I mean, Hank Aaron or Barry Bonds? Bonds. He really so quick with it. Like, yeah. I mean... <laughs> I mean, I think Bonds is the greatest hitter of all time. So, I mean, if you say – as soon as you say Bonds, I'm going to say Bonds. Like That man belongs in the Hall of Fame. Yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, yeah. I, <laughs> I mean, I'm not – yeah, I mean, I you know, people can say whatever they want. Yeah. He's the greatest hitter. And he was also – I mean, he was like – he didn't have an arm like that, but – He's like the greatest player I've ever seen. I'll never see a better player than Barry Bonds. I don't care about steroids, no steroids. He was the best player I, I had ever seen. Um, like, I just wish Ken Griffey Jr. didn't have the injury so we could really see who was better, who ended up having a better career. Like, I feel like baseball fans were robbed of that. Um, yeah. But And Hank Aaron, 
is an incredible player. Like he's a top five player. I just think, yeah, I just think Bonds was it's like Bonds and everybody else. That's how I feel about about that guy as a player. Like just I mean, yeah, I mean it was like that run. I mean, I, I know he was he was being helped out by certain things. <laughs> Even then, you can't do what he did if you weren't better than everybody else. You know, like there were things that were happening at that time <clears throat> where you were just like, I, I, you know, I, I, you can't even conceive that something like this would happen. You know what I mean? Like, you know, the 98 home run chase, you were just like, oh, my God, this is crazy. I can't believe I'm watching this. This is insane. And then Barry comes. And I mean, it's it's night and day, the two experiences. You know what I mean? Like. Uh, I know that there's an asterisk that people want to put on it. I don't, I'm not one of those people you to do what Barry Bonds did. You have to be immensely gifted and talented to, to accomplish that. There were a lot of people taking steroids at that time, pitchers and hitters, and nobody dominated the game like him. I mean, that's, that comes down to skill level and talent regardless. So uh, yeah, Bonds. Bond, and Bonds, anybody, I'm going to pick Bonds. What are your thoughts on Judge? I feel like he's, had a historic season last year. Um, and do you think like we're watching something similar this year with, with judge, if he remains healthy? Um, I think he's having a better year this year than he did last year. Uh, yeah. I think he's, he's very close to like mastering how to play major league baseball. You know, he's, he's pretty close. Like I think Mike Trout has done that. And I think Judge is like very close to that. It's just stay healthy, you know. I mean, like the the injury now is like just tough luck, and the yeah. result of being an incredible competitor and being at the wrong place, I guess, at the wrong time, I guess. Um, but um, yeah, I mean, I, I think I I actually think Aaron Judge is having a better year this year than last year. It's just that you know the injuries are getting in the way. I mean, he, he's on he's close to the pace that he was last year with ten. Right games and he's even better at controlling the strike zone than he was last year and he was great at controlling the strike zone last year you know it's just like he's he's entered the realm with like those real specific details are like making a difference and separating him from everybody else yes like it's just very very specific things that you take for granted when you watch that he's like beginning to master that to me just makes him even better than he was last year. It's just unfortunate that he keeps getting hurt. But um, yeah, I mean, I I think if he was healthy the whole year, he would he would break his record. Like he would he would he, yeah. would, he would blow pot blow past sixty two. Um, is he your favorite Yankee, or who is your favorite current Yan- Yankee? I don't really have one. To be no, neither uh, do I. I mean, I like guys like Wandy. You know, yeah. like I'm a little older now, so I look at like the characters and like who do I connect with that just makes me laugh or like has this like aura around them. So <laughs> it's guys like Wandy, it's guys like Oswaldo. Like yeah. to me, it's more like the personalities uh, that determines it more so than like production. It's easy to say Aaron Judge. I mean, we all love Aaron Judge. He's great. I yeah. love Anthony Rizzo. I love Rizzo. I mean, I think Rizzo bring so much to the table um i'm a big lemayhu fan but it's like i like wandy like wandy <laughs> fearless wandy comes out to mark anthony like 
it, it's just like his whole thing. Like, yeah, you know, when they did the interviews in spring training, when they were answering the questions, and he's like yelling at Carlos Rogan, like, <laughs> no, he's just that's my guy. I love Wandy. Like everything, everything about him just just makes me connect to him you know and all the, yeah all the players crazy. say he's a jokester like he's yeah. the clown of the clubhouse <laughs> you know, but it's like but it's like unintentional sometimes with him like even back, going back to that interaction with like Rodon it's like why wouldn't you pick the person that I told you to pick you know and like being annoyed that he didn't like pick that that uh that, <laughs> that he was talking about like, and why don't you know who this is? Like, what is wrong with you? <laughs> I mean, like, he seems, he feels very much like guys that I know from, like, Washington Heights or that I play softball with in the Bronx. You know, he's like the old head that just has, like, that personality that, like, you know, he's drinking a beer every time. Like, he has a corona and he's like, <laughs> and, and, like, you don't think that he's good, but then he's, like, better than everybody else. <laughs> he feels very New York to me. Like yeah. very New York Dominican to me, so Absolutely. I appreciate that. You know what I mean? It's like he he just feels like a guy that I've I've played softball with before, uh, so he feels very down to earth and like human to me, and I appreciate that. So, um, yeah, Wandy. I guess if I had to pick somebody, it would be it probably be Wandy. So. Awesome. Stick, sticking with the pen, do you think they need to do anything there, or do you like it as it is? I don't, I don't know. I mean, to me, a lot of that's just like who comes back. Like if Loisinga comes back, I don't really think they need to add much at this point. I think, uh, um, I do think Ron Marinaccio has to pitch better, though. I mean, he, whether they add somebody or not, I feel like he's too important to how they have things set up for him to constantly let inherited runners score. Um, Can I say something about that? I feel like they always put Ron in when there's bases are loaded in like the worst situations. Like, yeah. how can you thrive in that? Yeah, I mean that's a good point. Uh, yeah. Because there's trust, but either pitch better or don't put him in that situation. For <laughs> I mean, like it's one or the other because it just feels like you're right every time there's some like crazy situation. It's Marinaccio. <laughs> <laughs> Somebody. Yeah, we're always typing out Marinaccio coming in bases on yeah. first and second, no outs. Like, yeah. it's always a big fire he has to put out. Or it's like uh, Abreu. And I'm like, oh, that's even worse. Here. Like, it's just like, <laughs> that's even worse. Yeah. So, <laughs> I don't know. I mean, it goes back to the bullpen management thing that yeah. I have a problem with. But uh, I think if they can get Loisiga back, then I think they'll be okay. Um I don't think they're ever going to have like a set closer. Um, they might add somebody for depth. I mean, they always seem to like add some reliever just like out of like habit, I guess. Yeah. So I'm sure they'll add a reliever because they always add a reliever. So I, I would expect that. But um, yeah, I mean, they really need Luiz to get back. And I know we haven't had any updates on them, so that's not a good sign. Feels like <laughs> I'm worried about him. He gets banged up a lot, and the elbow stuff's never good. So at this yeah. point, Hill will be up before Loizaga. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So I mean, I'm sure they'll add somebody just because they always add somebody. I, I can't remember. Yeah. They didn't try to get a a reliever. So yeah, I mean, I'm all right with the closer by committee, but in the playoffs, it could be worrisome a little bit. That's the only problem with it. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I don't know. It it. it I don't know. I think it's working. You know what I mean? Like, 
they have so many good arms and they've really been the guys who just like really pitched well. You know what I mean? Like, um, again, it just comes down to how they're deployed. I mean, that's when it comes to the bullpen, it's like how how it's gonna be used, to be quite honest. Uh I do think I do think in some cases the players have kind of covered Boone by being able to like execute, even though the decision is a little like odd or it doesn't make that much sense or like the constant, let me try to steal another out the starter in an inning instead of just giving a clean inning and like getting out of the inning without any like drama. Like that needs to stop. I mean, that, that's been happening since he's been here. Like he's been. Yes. yes. And it's just like, dude, man, this doesn't work. Like, you know, you did it in the playoffs in 2018. You've been doing it ever since. And it's just like, stop, man. This is not. He doesn't have a feel for it. He doesn't have a feel when he should pull the pitcher out, when he should keep him on. I don't understand. Yeah, Do you, yeah. Can you teach that? I don't know. I don't know. And I know I know there's some people that, like, point to the bullpen ERA, but that that's independent of a decision-making process and, like, um, an approach that – puts players in the most optimal situation to succeed. Like we talked about Marinaccio, like always putting him in those situations to like put out a fire clearly is not working all the time because he's, he gives up way too many inherited runs. Like putting Abreu in that situation isn't advantageous to an inconsistent reliever like Abreu. So he might get out of it, but that doesn't mean that, like, the process is sound. There's a difference. Like, bullpen ERA isn't a reflection of process. Like, they're not connected to one another. That doesn't make any sense. So, like, the pitchers are good enough to, like, overcome bad process, but it would be good if you had good process and good pitchers. Like, you can have both, and that's what you should be striving for. So, like, to me, that's, like, an issue with Boone that really needs to be resolved regardless of who they bring in or don't bring in, like – you know, I was at the, the game when Herman pitched against Cleveland and they took him out and we were all like booing him as soon as he came out. And then like Holmes blew it. And we we're all like, if we know that, why don't you know that? Like, you know, it's, it's things like that where the process isn't good and the pitcher wasn't able to overcome the process. Uh, so I think that 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 is an Achilles heel of this team. And that's not to say Boone is the reason why they haven't won a championship. Like, I don't, I think when people say that that's absurd, like the players play. Um, but I do think Boone can do a better job of putting players in the best position to succeed when it comes to bullpen management decisions. Like there's, there's too much, too much evidence to suggest that he doesn't do that with consistency process wise. Man, I don't want to stop asking questions, but we got to let you go. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's uh, we've got an hour in now, so we got a lot of good content here. Um, this was awesome, Randy. Thank you so much. Um, everyone, check out the dugout station on all platforms. Um, check out Randy's stuff on ESPN, especially the Jeter documentary. He does a great job, and um, this was fun. And he's an avid tweeter, also. Well, <laughs> For the good and for the bad. So, <laughs> <laughs> yep. Take those Twitter handles.